So we started this with Daniel, then we moved over to Esther, and then over to uh, Nehemiah. So these three biblical figures, these characters lived during the time of the exile of the Jewish nation. Uh, Daniel was exiled when he was a teenager, and, uh, and Esther obviously became queen of Persia. And um, sometime after Daniel's death, Esther and Nehemiah were born in the, that we know of in, this, uh, in the exiled city of Susa, which is the capital of the Persian Empire. And so even though this book of Nehemiah is placed before the book of Esther in the Bible, the events of Nehemiah actually take place after the story of Esther. So Nehemiah, basically, he, as we get into the story, Nehemiah leads a group of workers back to Jerusalem to repair the walls. And uh, this season of exile and return of the Jews is the last biblical records in the Old Testament. After this story, God is silent for almost 400 years before the announcement of the birth of Jesus. So why Nehemiah? You know, obviously, we're not going to be able to cover every single character in God's word. It's more of how God is speaking um, to me. And, and God didn't just speak to me in, in just times of prayer or Bible study. God speaks to me through you. When, when you uh, share something about what you're reading, I feel like God is telling me, hey, you need to look into that. Maybe, uh, maybe God is leading us to do that as well. So why this character the fair question is, why Nehemiah? My hope is that by the end of this series that you will be able to answer that question. Nehemiah brings hope at a time when there is despair. He brings hope at a time when there is despair. The story of Nehemiah is about building for the future while rising from the ruins. I cannot think of a better example of this than Texas. Than Houston, right now. They, right now, they are building for the future as they're rising from the ruins of Hurricane Harvey. You know, as they rise from the ruins, you got people, such as my family, who are, who are trying to rebuild their lives, and we need to continue to be in prayer, and we're going to support them. But let me ask you this question. As you're looking at the story, at the pictures and the videos, and we, I think we've all seen what's, what's going on. I mean, if you've been distracted this week like I have by the pictures and the videos, and, and, but also inspired by some of the stories, let me ask you this question. Have you ever been in a storm? Now, I'm not talking about a, a natural disaster storm. I'm talking about a different kind of storm. Have you ever been brought to financial ruins, health ruins, relationship ruins, or spiritual ruins? You know, we all walk through storms that will leave behind ruins. When we walk through a storm, there, there's collateral damage. There's, there's things lying around. And if you look at the pictures and, and, uh, and, and our pastors that we're working with for the recovery there, they're, they're sending me pictures of what it looks like now. And it's, it's crazy, the mess that storms make. And the mess of storms in our life can leave behind ruins. So what I want you to do is I want you, during this message today, I want you to picture some sort of ruins in your life. 
okay? Whether they're, maybe you've been through storms way in the past, whatever kind of storm that was, financial, relationship, marriage, health, whatever kind of storm that I want you to picture that and picture the ruins that it left behind during this message. So what do we do with those ruins and how do we rise from them? Well, Nehemiah helps us with this. In Nehemiah chapter one, we're gonna start right at verse one. And if you have your copy of God's word, I encourage you to do that. By the way, some people have asked, hey, what about that version thing? You know, has it been on there? If, if we have now fixed some of those technical issues. So if you do have the version app, you can actually um, go to that and you have the scripture and the points of today's sermon. If you don't know what the version app is, go to bible.com and, and you'll find out. But in, in uh, Nehemiah chapter one, one through four, it says this, the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of, of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. Kind of sounds like Houston. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So it sounds like kind of what we're picturing back home, uh, what I picture back home in, in Houston or what, what you see on, on, online, whether it be Houston or Beaumont or Rockport, whatever that is, there are ruins left behind. So Nehemiah expressed a great concern for the ruins. He cried out for days, all because of a wall. All because of a wall. So, but, but what's really important to understand this, the wall around a city represents so much. The wall around a city represents security. It keeps wild animals from coming in. It keeps, you know, uh, for, for a time, it keeps armies from, from coming in. It keeps it protected. It's secure. So it's, it's a symbol of security. The wall is also a symbol of unity. As you're going to see in this passage, th- this wall is repaired by families after families. And so they all work together to, to complete this wall. And so it's a sign of unity. And it's a sign of prosperity. It revealed that the leaders and the people are prospering behind these walls. You know, I have friends who I've watched share live videos of them crying and and sobbing while sitting in a boat looking at their home covered in floodwaters. Like the walls of Jerusalem, their homes are a symbol of their lives. Now that symbol lies in ruins. They are concerned that, that for that symbol of home and family, they're concerned for that. Like the people in Houston and Nehemiah, we need to show concern for the ruins in our lives. You and I, we need to show concern for the ruins in our lives. And the way to show concern is that we need to accept your ruins. You need to accept your ruins. Know that they 
exist. We don't need to dismiss them. You need to acknowledge that those ruins are there, not to make you feel ashamed, but to allow God to help you make something beautiful out of ruins. God loves to contrast your beautiful life up against your past ruins. Some of y'all just listen to that one ear and out the other. Listen, God loves to contrast your beautiful life up against your past ruins. Think of this. You've seen lots of wedding pictures. And many times, this beautiful bride in this beautiful dress is standing in front of the ruins of a barn or an old bridge or an old brick wall. You know, it's kind of tumbling down. Now, why do they do that? Well, they do that because they're contrasting ruins in life with the beauty of the bride. You, if you've accepted Christ as Savior, you are the beautiful bride of Christ. And so God longs to show your beautiful life and what he wants to do in your life and what he, what he is he's doing right now and wants to do for you in the future. He wants to contrast that with the ruins of your life. So your past ruins of mistakes and storms can make your current life more beautiful. And this starts by accepting and recognizing the ruins of your life. So those ruins in your life, whether they happened yesterday or years ago, those ruins in your life you have in your heart and have in your head right now, I want you to accept those. Accept that they exist. Acknowledge that they exist. That's what, that's what uh, Nehemiah did. He acknowledged that they exist. Second thing, we need to pray. The very next action by Nehemiah, what did he do? Did he, did he organize a, a rescue mission? Did he start a GoFundMe account? What did he do? In chapter uh, one, verse five through 11, it says this. And here's, here's the prayer that he prayed. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to the, and hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even I, your ex- even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of, your, of this servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. Who's this man? The king, Artaxerxes. The king, Artaxerxes. So he prayed for hope. 
What did that prayer look like? So when we recognize and accept our ruins, it should lead to a prayer. Number one, that prayer confessed weakness. Nehemiah confessed the sins of his people, but he also confessed his weakness. The people in Houston, they're confessing right now, look, I know we're Texas, and I know we can kind of take care of things, but we can't do this on our own. There's convoys of supplies coming from all across the United States. Say, we cannot rise on our own. Let me tell you something. You, you cannot rise on your own. You cannot rise on your own. Rise from your ruins, you cannot. Confess your need for God's holiness and the help of the church. That's why we do small groups. When storms in your life happen, your small group is the first team to step in and to say, hey, what, what can we do? That's why it's important. Sign up for a small group. I know we're pushing that. It's important. And the uh, second thing he did, he professed God's promises. In that prayer, Nehemiah, he confessed his weakness, but then he professed his promises, the God's promises. To rise from the ruins, we need to profess the promises of God. Let me tell you, God's word is filled to the max with promises just for you. It's there. And so claim those promises that he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. I've got plans to prosper you. I mean, there's all kinds of promises in God's word. So profess God's promises and then request God's favor. So let me ask you something. Do you think God wants you to be successful? You know, I want my children to be successful. Why do I want my children to be successful? Not just so they won't stay at home when they're adults. I want them to be successful because I love them. I want them to enjoy life. Have a great and beautiful, awesome life on their own. And then, and then, you know, get married and have kids, you know, and then take care of mom and dad. You know what I'm saying? And so I want our children to be successful. That's the same way that God, God wants you to be successful. Why would it be any different? And it's not. So pray for success. Pray for God's Favor. I know some people are, are like, I shouldn't pray for God's favor, you know, and yes, it's okay. Pray for the favor of God. We're going to get in that in a little bit. So if you're thinking that you don't deserve favor because you're not some spiritual leader or, or whatever, I'm here to tell you, you're dead wrong. If you're just an average, ordinary person, then this is just the person God wants to use. How do I know this? Because it's pretty clear in Scripture that throughout the God's Word, He uses average, ordinary people to do great things. That's why Jesus was born in a stable. So just wherever you're at, wherever you are in life, ordinary, average, great, God wants to use you. Don't you dare let your status or things in your past life stop you from asking the favor of God. So in your prayer, confess your weakness. Lord, I can't, I can't rise from the ruins of my life on my own. Profess the promises. Lord, you claimed in your word this, this, and this. 
and then request God's favor. Lord, I, I need your favor in my life. So, so how, how do we rise from the ruins? We accept the ruins, we pray for hope, and then we be honest about the ruins. We, we have to be honest about them. In Nehemiah chapter two, verse one through three, it says, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, he was cupbearer, Nehemiah was, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid because actually, kings didn't like their servants being sad. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let me tell you something. Nehemiah did not have to share this information. He could have dismissed it and said, oh, king, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, just, I just ate something that didn't agree with me this morning at breakfast and you know, I'm just not feeling good and I'm sorry. He could, have, he could have just said that. But you see, Nehemiah spent days fasting and praying before he went to the king. We just read it a few moments ago, that long prayer. He spent days fasting and praying and mourning before God the Father. And so because of that, God gave him the foresight and the wisdom to be able to go and be honest with the king about what his ruins are doing to his heart. Let me tell you something. Church, don't miss this. Listen up. If you ever want to rise from your ruins, you need to be honest about them to yourself and to others. You need to be honest about them. This is huge. Stop saying that everything is fine. Men, look at me. Stop saying that everything is fine. It's okay, guys, to ask for directions in life. I'm not talking about when you're traveling. It's okay, men, to ask for help for certain things. And I'm talking to myself as well. So, now don't, now don't throw a pity party you know, about all the things that's happening, just to get attention, but, but be honest about your ruins. So we need to accept our ruins, acknowledge that they're there, we need to pray for hope, we need to be honest with ourselves and others about those ruins, and then we need to ask for big things. Check out verse four through eight. It says this, the king said to me, what is it you want? What is it you want? Then I pray to the God of heaven, so this is a quick little snapshot prayer, and I ask the king. So he says this to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me, a cupbearer, an average guy, help him send me to the city of Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him, that's very important, then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. He also said to him, if it pleases the king, 
I said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governor of Trans-Euphrates so that they may will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will um, give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. Okay, Nehemiah is an average person, but he asked for big things. He asked for big things. He wasn't royalty. He didn't have any kind of really high position. He was a servant, and yet he asked for big things. Nehemiah even asked for supplies to build a house. We just read it. The quarters I will occupy. He even asked for that. So God has a plan for your ruins. And it may even seem crazy to you that God would use your ruins. But God, and that's why you have to acknowledge that they are, exist. Don't try to dismiss them. They're there. And God wants to use them. And because God has big plans for your ruins, you don't need to be afraid of asking big things from God. Don't worry about asking big things from God. Through your financial ruins, God has plans to make your life beautiful. He wants your new financial life to show others that there's a hope for a beautiful life after bankruptcy or whatever. But it involves giving him your heart, your, your, your trust, you know, your, 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 your tithing. But it involves some, and I know it's kind of opposite of our thinking, but he would ask of those things. You know, if your marriage lies in ruins, and maybe you have ruins from past relationship, God wants to make them beautiful. Is there life after divorce? Yes. God wants to include those ruins into a beautiful picture of redemption and grace. Is there life after an affair? Yes. Are there ruins after an affair? Yes. Big ruins. But God wants to use those ruins to create beauty, strength, unity, and protection, just like the wall around Jerusalem. God wants to use your ruins. Now, you may be sitting here today thinking, you know, Frank, I don't really have much financial ruins or marriage ruins lying around, but let me tell you something. There may come a day when you need this message and, and you probably have people in your life right now that you can say, man, I wish they were here. They need to hear this. Of course, they can hear this online. But you can share this message of hope to them. You need to ask God for big things. That's exactly what Nehemiah did. Ask God. He wants to use your ruins. Now, why do you think that this king, King Artaxerxes, was so moved to allow an average man to do such a large request? It was definitely God moving on his heart. But I think God already moved the heart of the king even before 
Nehemiah's conversation. Before Nehemiah even had that opportunity to share what, was, what he was feeling, and he was honest and he was acknowledging and accepting the ruins in his life and the ruins of his people, the king already had a heart that was softening what God was doing. You know why I think that? The king, Artaxerxes, was probably told of the Hebrew stories of Abraham and and, and Moses and of David. This king was told of how the Jews turned to false gods and they were exiled to a foreign land. This king, Artaxerxes, was told of the amazing story of how God worked behind the scenes with Esther. How do I know this? Because Esther was queen when this little king was a boy growing up in the palace. You see, his dad, his father, was King Xerxes. And King Artaxerxes, when he was a boy, grew up in the palace. Now, biblical scholars don't think that he was actually the son of, of, of Esther and Xerxes, the king, probably Uh, one of his other wives or something, however that works. But know this, that biblical scholars believe that Esther was even still alive during this encounter with Nehemiah and Artaxerxes. Why is that important? It's important to know this, that God, before you even ask of big things of God. He's already ready for the conversation. He's already made a way. And you can ask for big things of God through other people. Through other people. If, you, if you're like, you've been in the company for a while and you like, okay, it's time for me to have a raise or, or I need to adjust something in my schedule or whatever. Using that as an example. You can go to your boss, but before you go to the boss, Go to God, and God's gonna move on the heart. And God's gonna do his will. God's gonna make his plan, but let me tell you something. Because you want to have a different position in your job, maybe something that's better for your family, who you think put that in your heart? Well, God did. And if God put that in your heart, then God's already moving in the hearts of other people. So go boldly and ask for big things of God. I believe God was already moving in the king, Artaxerxes' heart. And I believe that God is already moving in the hearts of people, of people that you need to go to. And he's just waiting for you to ask. He's just waiting for you to ask. So what do we do with the ruins? How do we rise from the ruins? We accept them. We acknowledge that they exist. We pray for hope. We pray for them. We we be honest about our ruins, what it's really doing in our life. We have to be honest. We have to ask for big things. So if you're ready to build the future, you must use the ruins in your life. You will see in the story of Nehemiah as as it unfolds over the next few weeks that Nehemiah, he did not discard the ruins left over from the previous wall. In fact, he used those ruins as a foundation and added new bricks and new mortar to those ruins to build 
the wall. And God wants to do the same thing with you. God wants to use the ruins in your life as a foundation. Whatever that ruin looks like, He wants to make it beautiful. He wants to make it beautiful. I love seeing pictures of just old buildings that have been, been turned into something beautiful. They, but you still can see some of the, the old past and the ruins. And if those walls could speak, what they would say, and you can still see that, but there's, there's new life. There's a new purpose built upon the foundations of those ruins. God wants you to use the ruins of your life. Give God your ruins. Give God your ruins. Jesus would ultimately lay down his life as a sacrifice for our sin. In the eyes of those who were witnesses, Jesus ruined any chance of freedom from tyranny from the Roman oppression of the Jews. They thought he was there to to set them free from the, the Roman government, from the Roman rule. And so when he died, many people thought, well, there it goes. That's ruined. But Jesus rose from the ruins to build a foundation of hope through salvation and ultimate freedom from our bondage of sin and shame. Jesus wants to use your ruins and build something beautiful in your life. So here's what I think we need to do. Here's how we need to respond. I'm asking you to respond in the same way that our friends down in Houston are responding. They acknowledge, hey, this this is ugly, this is bad. But if we're gonna pray, but God's strength, we can't do this alone. Yes, it hurts, it's, it's, it's a mess, but God's gonna do great things and they're gonna rise from the ruins. But they're gonna use, they're still gonna use their houses. They're gonna use their homes. And I could just imagine a few years down the road, sitting in the living room and just thinking, I remember when this was all a mess, but God made something beautiful. So here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. I'm asking you to rise from your ruins, any kind of ruins in your life. And, and this isn't to make you shameful of your past. It makes you to understand what, what's there. So give God your ruins and ask him to make something beautiful out of them. So in just a moment, we're gonna stand. The band's gonna sing a song. We're gonna worship. It's a song you're familiar with. But the altar's open. I want you to come down and just give God your ruins. God, I give this over to you. Make it something beautiful like only you can.